0: I think it just has to be us, doesn't it? It just has to be us talking the way we normally talk. So, hello and welcome to the Becoming Mums podcast. We are um, we're talking about parenting in a pandemic. Becoming Mums is a peer-to-peer support group that we established in 2017. Because we needed to talk honestly about motherhood, about the massive seismic changes in your identity, about the community, about the way society looks at you. And instead of just talking about nappies and nap times, we wanted to meet with other women and talk about the things that were really on our minds all the time. Our birth stories, our our work hassles, our identity, all of the things that have shifted um, since we'd become parents. And so we founded the group in 2017. Blah blah
1: blah blah blah. <laughs> well, we could cut
0: that out. Apart from the blah, blah 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 at the end I completely lost my train of thought.
1: <laughs> How is being a mum such a roller coaster? One moment you're flying high, snacks are good, people are happy, and you're feeling top. The next moment, everyone is crying. Someone's had a tantrum, and you've eaten all the biscuits hiding in the kitchen. Throw a pandemic into it. Each day is as unpredictable as your mother-in-law after she's been drinking. We're Liz and Fee, mums of preschoolers, and we are desperate for mums to be more honest, let in others about how hard all of this is, and seek solidarity from those who are going through what you're going through. Parenting is hard enough as it is without having to spend all your time with your children. Welcome to Parenting in a Pandemic. So this this is our first this is our first podcast.
0: I know, it's so exciting.
1: I was thinking about how we could start. And probably the best thing to do is just introduce ourselves, right? Because people don't know who we are and what this is about. So it probably makes sense to give a little overview of what we're about and why we're doing this. So how about I go first? Go for it. Okay, so my name's Fee and I'm not going to say my age because if this is, you know, a thing and we do do this regularly, it's only going to bum me out when we go back and have a look (laughs) in future sessions. So I'll leave that off. Um, I have two children. I have two girls. Um, One is two, recently turned two. The other one is nearly four. And I live in Wokingham. I used to live in Somerset. I'm actually well, I'm not Somerset born and bred, but I'm Somerset bred, I suppose is the best way of looking at it. And I moved here when I was 20, 23, And never looked back. I love Berkshire. I love the community of Berkshire. I love the proximity to London. I love the people. I love the fact that we're not too far from the countryside. I loved Somerset, don't get me wrong. It's a beautiful part of the country, but it's so far away from everywhere. It's, you know, it's it's close to Cornwall, which I love. Who doesn't love Cornwall? But I really enjoy life in the southeast, and I'm really glad we made the move. I dabbled as a chef for a little bit, but my degree, everyone thinks I'm quite random because my degree is in English language. But turns out that's quite dull sometimes, <laughs> 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 especially, uh, you know, parts of it were really interesting phonetics I couldn't really get on board with. So I've tried a number of different things. I love food and I have a very small company that, well, pre- prior to COVID, made food for other people in a catering capacity. However, the last year has not been particularly kind to anybody in the hospitality Uh, business so I've done other things like I've always been interested in photography so I've tried to make that bit more of a feature in my life but other than you know raising two children (laughs) there's not really a lot of time for much else it takes up it's pretty exhausting and I am the primary carer so I don't have much time for any other things but when I do I love not spending time with my children. I love them dearly. Of course I do. But I also like time away from them. And I I think, you know, obviously that's something we'll come back to when we discuss why we started the group, because I think it's really important that we're honest about how hard being a parent is. And in our case, you know, being a primary carer and a a mother is. So before I ramble on even more, I'll let you go ahead (laughs) Uh, and we can come back to to that later.
0: Okay, Um, I'm Liz, I was born and bred in Bristol, Um, so I am a West Country girl at heart, but city, city girl, and I moved here to go to university uh, and have been here ever since, and my degree was in philosophy, And I worked straight from university. I worked for 15 years delivering training to teachers and educators and NGOs, charities around global education um, and diversity and inclusion and how to empower children to be activists, social activists and make the world a better place. And I stopped doing that job when I went on maternity leave And decided not to go back for various reasons, um, partly because the organisation was unable to be flexible in the way I wanted to sort my time out. And so I have ended up being freelance, doing both that kind of work, but also lots of other stuff. So throughout that time, well, for the last 10 years, really, I've also been working in the arts, running a theatre company with my partner and uh, doing various stuff, sort of mentoring and supporting people with accessing funding for arts projects. And now I've run Dance Reading, which is an a uh, dance development charity, just set up as a charity, which is a pain of paperwork. And we support the dance sector in Reading and the surrounding areas. We support access to dance and access to the arts um, and trying to build a thriving dance scene across communities that are vulnerable and need uh, support to connect with others and feel inspired and motivated and get moving. So it's quite a variety of different things <laughs> that I've done. Yeah, absolutely,
1: Smorgasbord. board,
0: and most of them all at the same time, which is uh, which is challenging. But mm. yeah, so someone once described it to me as a portfolio career. Um, oh,
1: I haven't had that before. Uh,
0: yeah, I think that's just a fancy <laughs> word for saying overstretched and uh, <laughs> mildly incompetent that you can't make
1: one thing work. But there you go what I love about what you do is it is such a wide variety of so many different things. I'm constantly in awe of how you manage to fit it all in. And you constantly tell me I don't, but you know, on the surface you very much appear to do. So, um, you know, I think, I think it's very impressive. It's interesting, isn't it? When we talk about Reading, because we're based in Reading, aren't we? The, The group is based in Reading, Becoming Mums. The group that we started is based in Reading and, It's a funny old place because it does have, when we first moved here, I was desperate. I'd gone to uni in in Oxford. I went to Brooks, and I was like, where is, you know, because obviously Oxford's full of arty little pockets and lots of places, lots of clubs and galleries, really cool museums. They have excellent exhibitions. And I sort of came here and I thought, where is everything? Is there a part of Reading that I and not aware of and there is very much I do think there is a th- much more recently and you know much more about this than I do but there is a thriving art scene but you've really got to find it if you don't know less so now I think but you know it's something that's just railroaded by commuters and office blocks and apartment blocks you know it's a kind of that's that's your overall impression and it's actually not the case because I I feel like there is a lot there is a lot in Reading to be really happy with and proud of, but it takes a bit of knowing some people, knowing where to go. (laughs) Is that fair,
0: do you think? Definitely. Yeah, definitely fair. I think what's interesting about Reading is this, as you say, this commuter, this commuter community. And if you look at the the full population of the town or the borough or whatever boundary you want to draw around it, it's quite big. And so it would seem like the the cultural offering that's available is small in comparison to the population but actually mm. the large percentage of that population aren't really Reading residents. They, they live here and commute to London and they spend all of their cultural time in London um, so actually the, the kind of local population is is relatively small and quite mm. spread out and of course because we're so close to London, It's really easy to get there to go and see stuff. And we don't have a mid-scale venue either. So we've got the lovely and amazing teeny tiny South Street. And then we've got the great big hexagon and nothing in between. Mm. Um, So Mm. there's either kind of, you know, theater wise, there's either lots of commercial sort of pantomimey, strictly come dancing stuff. At the Hexagon, and there's really interesting small-scale contemporary theatre and comedy and music at South Street, but there's there's nothing else. There's no space, yes. and the space is a real problem because of the commuterness and the un, unending development of tower blocks and offices on every patch of ground available. There's no space for little, you know, community groups to to take hold of a building and start running something exciting that. The, the, a space
1: in the town centre is so expensive that it's
0: impossible for independent businesses to survive there.
1: But it's also important to note, you know, that's one of the reasons why I felt so empowered to start something because of the the separation, I think, in certain groups. I found it, you know, you become a mum and you've got your NCT, which not everybody, you know, you've got variations of NCT, the free ones or the paid for ones, but it's a mixed bag and whether, whether you get on with those people... You've got sort of NCT meetups, they do them in a lot of the cafes, don't they? But unless you pay for classes, there's nothing, there was nothing I could see that was, not, and I, there's nothing against having things in a church, but it's not necessarily a comfortable space for a lot of people to go to a church if they have a different religion or no religion. There was nothing else, there was no, there were no, I couldn't, I was searching. I remember being in hospital just after I'd had my first and searching for groups, for mum-baby groups. And I couldn't find any. I couldn't find many Facebook groups. And I just thought, oh, wow, this is... Well, that's it then, isn't it? That's it, This is me sort of having to... And I, and I regard myself as relatively extroverted, but it's also extremely frightening when you have a tiny baby and you feel you don't know anybody. You may be lucky that you've got friends that have babies or you could be the first of your friends to have babies or the only one out of your friends to have babies. And then outside of that circle you're 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 on your own it's just going to be me sitting at home on my own and I I I, I always feel so much more, more positive when I'm around other people not all the time I'm not you know egomaniac maniac or anything I'm not a psychopath <laughs> I don't want to be you know I, I like being on my own as well but I, I desperately need social interaction so that was sort of one of the reasons and then you and I were talking weren't we and I said where is everybody where is where are the groups I feel like I need some conversation and 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 we chatted and uh, sort of it was born a little bit that was sort of one of the reasons that it it came about but without those conversations you sort of tend to get sidestepped a a little bit anyway
0: yeah, I think the statistics around social isolation for mothers, especially new mothers, is is quite shocking. You know, it's uh, and that that horrifying fact that actually one of the most common causes of death for for women who are pregnant or in the first year of having a child is suicide. It's incredibly tough, and that's not just because of severe, you know, postpartum psychosis or you know very severe mental illnesses. That's that's also because of this. This this kind of you know cut off from your former life. You're cut off from your work. You might be cut off from friends. You might be stuck in your house for weeks on end. And we all know how difficult that is. Now everyone's had a taste of that. Um, <laughs> but to also have that with the physical and emotional um, pressures of having given birth or being pregnant is a is a recipe for disaster, really. Um, Absolutely. And- that age-old saying of it takes a village to raise a child it it does and we don't have one anymore and Mm -hmm. the amount of work you have to do to find a village your village and for it to be the right village um is is significant you know you talked about searching for baby groups and it's not just the searching you then have to get to it you have to get yourself out of the house you have to get yourself dressed you have to make sure there isn't you know nappies changed and you've got all the stuff you need to have and then you have to get there and then on perhaps maybe 20 minutes of sleep in the last week you then have to have a meaningful conversation with somebody try to form a friendship with another adult which is hard enough as it is when you're mm-hmm. incoherent because you're so exhausted and all you talk about is your baby which you know there is limited discussion space for that really there's only so much you can say when they're little it's really yeah. it's a really challenging it's a really challenging space to be in and what I noticed after having um, my my baby, a good boy, was that people stopped asking me my name. They stopped asking me what I did for a living. They stopped asking me my opinions on anything or any of the kind of normal stuff you might connect with somebody about, like a normal way you might make a friend, you know, by talking about shared interests or music or politics or whatever it might be. You know, even just chatting about what was on telly last night all of that goes and all you have to talk Mm -hmm. about is your baby and they're all let's be honest babies are all pretty much the same (laughs) they're (laughs) either in the rolling phase or they're not (laughs) <laughs> like once you've yeah. got, got through that and and obviously the kind of endless questions oh always oh, yours doing this or mine won't do this have you got any tips you know there's that obviously mm-hmm. there's that conversation which is great um and there's a real solidarity and lots of advice and helpful helpful ideas from from other new mums who are all going through the same thing that you are but but there's a there's a, a, an element of yourself that's lost oh, totally mm-hmm. So finding the the village that also gets you as a person is is really, really important because that social isolation is is dangerous. It's not mm. it's not a healthy thing, it's not a healthy place to be in. It's not how children have been raised traditionally, and it's certainly not, you know, as the stats show, it's certainly not a healthy way to do it now.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And what you're saying about, you know, you get pockets of time to ask questions to try and form meaningful relationships. You know, it's just not viable. And something that my my sister organised when my first was about three months old was a play that was put on in London by Michelle Terry and Rosalie Craig. Michelle Terry, now director of The Globe. And it was brilliant because it was just the two of them with their babies. They brought their babies on stage with them and recounted what it was like. And it, it was called Becoming. And they only spoke about really the lead up to the birth. And then the actual birth, one of them had to have an emergency C-section. The other wasn't quite prepared. I mean, is anybody for the level of pain that she was going to go through? And they sort of were, they had their partners off stage and would come on and, and, and cradle their babies while they were talking and then feed them. And then if the baby got a bit, give them to the papa. But they did it. And I thought, oh, my God, <laughs> these women are just amazing. Because what was So incredible about that, and the performance itself was really quite moving. And one of the actresses got very upset because it was the first performance that they'd done, and she was talking about her c section and how she didn't want a c section, and she was frightened, and you know, her birth plan wasn't going to plan. But what was really interesting was they opened up the floor to discussion afterwards to ask if any women had had sim- similar experiences or wanted to talk about everything and they had to shut it down after an hour there were so many women with their hands up desperate to talk desperate to connect asking questions about going back to work asking questions about breastfeeding asking questions about bottle feeding you know what's too much what's too little colic reflux rolling over it was just you know but then it it, it shifted to how do i meet new mums i'm feeling really lonely is this normal my parents are making, you know, my life a little bit more difficult because they don't like my parenting choices. And I thought, wow, these women don't have anyone, they don't have anybody to talk to. Yeah. You know, there's nobody for them to, to offload to or to debrief to. And it really, really got me thinking that why? Why are we so ignored? Why is there no uh, out for women to be themselves with and be honest and for people to listen, rather than telling them what they they think that they want to hear, rather than giving them advice that they haven't asked for. Why is anybody stopping to just listen to these women who are getting very upset? It was a real wake-up call because I wasn't quite ready for the very much overall sentiment that these women were feeling, which was loneliness. feeling like they were being ignored and I remember talking to you about it said that I'd seen this fantastic play and I was you know and then I was desperate to talk about it you know I was desperate to kind of you know tell all these women that let's do something let's let's start a revolution let's (laughs) let's, (laughs) and and that's what we did didn't we we sort of we we started a Facebook group and we started a we, we we managed to find some space at your old work yeah which was, you know, fantastic. And we and, and that's how it and that's how it began. And and that was I mean, we we're coming up for nearly four years ago now. Yeah. So we started in October. Okay, so maybe three and a half then, October twenty seventeen. Yeah. Wow.
0: And our first session when we first met with a you know, a load of women, some of whom we knew, most of whom we didn't, I think. Um mm-hmm. and we talked about birth because it felt like we all had fairly recent, I mean, I think our kids are about six months old, fairly recent birth stories that we wanted to share. That that whole experience is so immense. Um, you know, not even talking about all the other stuff that comes with becoming a parent, but just the giving birth part but as soon as you're done giving birth no one asks you about that there's so much preparation and planning and and we went to active birth classes and people go on courses about it and there's nct and there's all kinds of stuff preparing for this moment of giving birth and then when it's over that's it nobody pops around and asks you about your birth they come around and they ask you about your baby um, mm-hmm. And you, and even if they did ask you about your birth, they don't really want to hear about your actual
1: birth. Yeah, it was horrific. What do you want to know? <laughs> they, they, they don't want to see your stitches, or
0: you know, um, <laughs> hear about the the clots that fall out of you at three in the morning that make you call the midwife unit back because you think that you're having another child. I mean. You know. <laughs> To hear about that detail or how long you bleed for afterwards. My goodness. There's so yeah. much that even and even in all that birth preparation, not touched upon at all, never discussed. You just, you know, you read about it. Well I, I read everything there was to read because I'm one of those people that likes to know every possible nightmare scenario so that I feel prepared. <laughs> Fortunately my partner is the exact opposite so that didn't go well. <laughs> it's really interesting that whole sort of birth preparation but then of course once it's once it's done there's no one to talk to about it Mm. you can't rock up to your mum and baby yoga class or go you know meet friends in the cafe and talk about your birth over your chocolate brownies it just it just doesn't happen um Mm. so having a space where women could actually talk about their birth stories and talk about the things that um they might feel uncertain about like is it okay that my midwife said this? is it all right that i felt like this during it or, or you know mm. this has happened afterwards or you know all that the, the things that people often dismiss like feeling grief if your birth didn't go the way you wanted it to mm. you know or if you had to have an emergency c-section there's a there's a real grief there's a loss there and,
1: Absolutely.
0: and that's often dismissed with oh but as long as baby's all right then that's fine um, and yes, of course, your baby being alive and healthy and well is incredibly important, but that doesn't mean you're not important too. And I was I was really astonished in that first session at how powerful women talking about their births was um, and how, like just like you observed in the theatre show, how much they wanted to talk about it. Everybody had a story to tell, every single one. And they were all different, but they were all united by some really similar threads. Um, yeah. And it just felt like there were also a hundred other topics that we needed to talk about.
1: And yeah, so- we didn't have enough time. Do you remember yeah. that? People were still there. I think there was another group like, waiting to get waiting in. to come in and you go, you you said, We've got the room booked until two <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> you, know? <laughs> <laughs> you know, because it's you know, it's that it's that example again, isn't it, of feeling that you're powerless in all of this that you're just a passenger and it's something that we found really apparent is obviously people talk about postnatal depression and you know in some cases postpartum psychosis but what people don't necessarily talk about is all the anxiety that you get which can be can be on a very small scale worried about X, Y, and Z, to completely debilitating, not able to leave the house. I'm feeling like I'm a terrible mother. I'm terrified that I'm not doing things right. And that, that having your voice removed, that you don't feel like you're able to talk to anybody about it, because nobody's willing to listen and give you the time of day to offload and be really honest about how you're feeling. It's something... That it comes up doesn't it over and over and over again in the sessions nobody's listening to me nobody's taking me seriously i just i don't want somebody to fix it i just want someone to hear me out that's all i want yeah you know just someone to say man how you're feeling must be really rough and i'm really sorry that that you know what can i do what can i do rather than let's try and fix it yeah you know yeah. there's a, there's a very uh, clear separation between between the two it's, it's it's a really it's a really hard one and there's something that I love about the group is that people will often have something to say and everyone listens nobody interrupts nobody talks over they 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 listen they empathize they suggest if that's what the person's asking for but there's no much ignoring to yeah yeah. There's no, yeah there's no ignoring of of what that person's gone through you know they they're listening yeah. to all of their all of their emotions and it's so powerful to hear that
0: and the similarities, I mean, that's one of the things that I, I remember going away from that first session and I, I'd walked there because it's not that far from my house. And I remember walking back and just kind of c- crying like I wasn't really crying and just water was falling from my face. <laughs> um, <laughs> and just this, this, this sense of, of solidarity, of sitting in a room full of people that you don't know and they all understand you, they get it. Mm you know and i i'd gone through this massive experience and i hadn't really found anybody else who got it or how how it was making me feel um and i've felt that every session since that whatever topic we're talking about we all feel really similarly about it. And a lot of our conversations come down to the fact that we are, as as women, handed a great big box of societal expectations <laughs> from birth. But when you become a mother, there's a whole new box suddenly dumped in your hands. And we're all part of that. We're all experiencing that some more than others certainly for for women who are black or asian you know there's a whole load of other stuff that comes with that disabled women for gay women you know all of the different qualities of experience but ultimately there's this mother box of societal expectations and assumptions and prejudice that we are all handed and it influences All of us in a really similar way, you know, whether it's thinking about the way work discriminates against you or the way people feel free to touch your body in the supermarket when you're pregnant, (laughs) you know, the way that your relationships change with your family and with your friends, all of those sorts of things, all of those identity shifts and all of that other stuff, there was so much similarity between everybody's experiences and that was just hearing that other people felt the same as me was really really empowering and mm. reassuring I felt reassured that I wasn't crazy You're not <laughs> or, the one. or yeah. fa- failing or you know for some reason everyone else is finding this really easy and I'm finding it really hard why is that you know actually it was this is what everybody's feeling yeah. and we're trained to keep that quiet we're trained to you know, whether it's through a combination of fear and shame to, you know, to look like we're the perfect mother all the time and to, to put your hand up and say, this is really hard, is to admit that you're perhaps a bad parent. It's not you being a bad parent, but it feels like that's what you're saying or that, what, that's what people are going to think of you. And yeah. so women don't talk about how hard it is. And then, of course, it's harder. <laughs> it's so yeah. much
1: harder yes. if you don't. You know, what you were saying about you're handed this, that's such a good analogy, you're handed a box, you're given a box as a woman and then when you become a mother, you're of, of a box full of all these things that you're expected to feel and the, the mould that you're expected to, to, I don't know, be absorbed into. And it's only further reinforced by you know people like Rishi Sunak. Who are are constantly repeating things about mothers being at home and mothers being the primary carers and aren't mothers doing a great job? It's it's a the, the global picture of mothers is so is so apathetic that it's really hard to move out of that without looking like you're like a bad mother, like you said, like you're being aggressive, like you're unhappy with, with having children. Of course we love our children. Our children are are our world, you know, they they come in and they change it and we, we had we have no idea about the kind of love that we're going to feel and, you know, how that's not the only <laughs> that's not the only part. You know, that's that's assuming that everybody is able just to give something up. A a huge part of their self up for this for this tiny being. That's not that's not how humans work. That's not how we work. That's not how how anybody is supposed to work. And you know you're 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 fed all these lines about happy mum, happy baby. And I understand happy mum, happy baby, but it's not quite as simple as just being happy mum, is it? There's a lot that goes into that. There's a lot of there's a really complicated formula that is. And I get that being happy is not completely sustainable all the time and it shouldn't be sustainable because but if we were happy all the time we wouldn't recognize that we were happy it would be a, a very a very strange line to walk but it's really really hard for women to feel a certain way when they're told how they should be feeling in certain ways you know you can't win you can't win it's a, it's a really it's a really really tough box to open <laughs> you know, and to to be expected to understand all these complicated things that happen all at the same time and over a a long period of time as well.
0: Yeah, it's always struck me as a really powerful paradox almost that you are expected to be your, your least invasive, your least, you know, to make your least mark on society when you're a parent and yet that's the time when you need to make the most so you know you normally you'd walk down the street you'd enter a shop you'd buy something you'd leave no no big deal when you've got a child Mm -hmm. (laughs) you walk down the street you take up the entire pavement your child's crying it's noisy on the bus everyone looks at you in a funny way you know you go into the shop and someone has to hold a door open for you and if the door isn't big enough your pram gets stuck and (laughs) you know you you take up more time at work or you're more expensive because you have maternity leave whatever it might be we're sort of we're expected to make less and less impact we want babies to be silent and mothers to just be at home and quietly get on with it we don't and yet at the same time we're inherently bigger and noisier um, Mm -hmm. and yet we're forced into a space where we're expected to just be invisible and that's a really impossible it's an impossible situation to be in it's absolutely Mm -hmm. impossible you want to talk freely and openly about the the needs that parents have, and you don't know them until you become one. But you are also expected to just smile, be quiet and have a perfectly well behaved baby. Don't post too many pictures on Facebook. Don't talk too much about your child. You know, or don't stop coming out with us just because you've got a kid now. You're expected to to not be a parent. And there's that there's that saying, isn't there, you know, the expectation of workplaces is that when you're at work, you're just at work. And when you're a parent, you're just a parent, and you can't ever um, comfortably sit with your dual roles in both places. So you're, you're expected to work like you're not a parent, and you're expected to parent like you don't have a job. And many of us live with multiple roles at the same time. And it seems like a radical act. For a workplace to acknowledge and uh, embrace your dual identity <laughs> like that seems radical but why on earth should it be when it's such a massive proportion of the population who have babies and jobs it's yeah. not exactly rarity <laughs> why on earth have we set up a system that makes it so hard to be both mother and and something else and it's not just about the workplace but to be a mother and a fan of football or a mother Mm -hmm. and someone that goes to the theatre or a mother and something else everything is difficult you either have to leave your child at home and pretend it doesn't exist or you know and then you are just theatre goer I am theatre goer person or you are (laughs) at home with your child and of course you wouldn't dream of doing anything else or miss going to the theatre the idea that you know relaxed performances with babies allowed in them is radical yeah it's, it's madness. It seems like complete madness to me when we have so many women with babies and fathers with babies and parents and carers with children who are mm-hmm. cut off from doing ordinary things just because of the existence of a young person.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It's literally how we populate the, the planet and our society. Why isn't it more in, integrated into the rest of our lives? It shouldn't be, it's impossible to separate them out. And yet we're forced to. And that conflict, I think, is is a major cause of distress.
1: And it's something that's, you know, it's constantly reinforced, isn't it? Holidays without children. And I understand some people don't want to go on holiday and have children running around. Or, you know, um, after a certain time, you're expected that children aren't going to be in a restaurant. And then you go to other cultures like Spain and the kids are running around at ten at nine and nobody (laughs) nobody cares so why is it such a big thing in our society where it's like a taboo subject there's somebody I know who worked for quite a big company in London and she had gone back and she was still breastfeeding her one-year-old and she needed somewhere in work to be able to express and then to be able to store the milk and I, I still remember her saying that they accommodated they they were fine awkwardly fine about her expressing in a meeting room. Oh no no, no that's fine. Actually, well, you know, bending over backwards to, you know, be inclusive and and to make sure that they were meeting all of the rules. But then when it came to <laughs> when it came to storing the milk, they had a really really big staff fridge and they bought her a little fridge that went beside it that they had painted in pen that said the lady's name, and then breast milk on the front of the fridge, right in the the staff (laughs) canteen, you know, people making their porridge in the morning or going there for lunch. And she said, you know, I should be really happy that they've done that. And I am really happy with that. I've done that, but I still, I'm, and she said, I'm appreciative of the fact that I have my own space and it's, you know, sanitized and there's nobody putting their stuff in it, but I very much feel like an outsider, because it's there and I'm I'm regarded as a separate person now. I can't just put my... She said, I would have just been happy to put my stuff in the fridge, but, you know, they've kind of... And she said, I shouldn't really be complaining because, you know, they're making provision for me, which I'm really happy that they're doing. But everybody's coming into that work, you know, that kitchen in the morning and they're seeing, there's my breast milk fridge. There it is. <laughs> and also, it was one of those ones that was... Um, the fridge was obviously like a freebie from... Uh, a very well-known milk company. So it had milk, it had, it had oh, no. a, a cow print on the, on the front. The <laughs> <laughs> so she's like, there is my black and white fridge with my oh. with my udder, you know. Um, she said, you, you know, you just, you can't win either way when it's such a, it's such a statement piece. And, you know, and she said, and I'm aware that people were making jokes about it. She's very easygoing. She's got a great sense of humour. But um, she said it took a long time for me to, Sort of accept that it was there, and and you know be be okay with it. So it's really tricky. It's, it's really tricky, isn't it? Because in a lot of ways, you feel like you can't win. You know, if people if people ask yeah. you too many questions, maybe do you feel they're being nosy? If they don't ask you enough, do you feel that they don't care? I think I think the crux of it is, is something that we talked about. You know, a few minutes ago is is feeling that you're you're sort of just being listened to and respected and you're not being dictated to and told what how you should be feeling and that all of this is normal. So the fact that this woman had
0: to have a special fridge and they had to have big meetings about it implies that nobody had ever come back to work after having a child and still expressed yeah. milk, which suggests to me that a lot of women possibly are pressured into not continuing breastfeeding because it's just too much at work to go through all of those things. And there will be workplaces that you know actively make it really mm-hmm. difficult or that just won't accommodate needs. And and so it's it's all about making it normal, making motherhood in any shape and form that it comes in normal and not invisible and not hidden away and taboo and secretive, but completely blooming normal so that there's 20 little fridges with breast milk written on the front and then no one bats an yes. eyelid because you're just another person who's breastfeeding. Great, mm-hmm. whatever, lovely. Or bottle warming stations or whatever it might be or it being normal to bring your child in, you know, to to work if a carer is looking after them whilst you're working, whatever, yes. whatever, whatever you need that flexibility, um, and and not just at work but everywhere else. You know that it's normal to take a child to the theatre. It's normal to have your child in a restaurant. It's normal for a child to cry on a bus because actually carrying around guilt and shame doesn't do anybody any favors. It's it it just makes everything harder.
1: And that's something that we we talk about quite a lot, don't we? So we. We, we met prior to COVID, we met monthly in Reading and we'd talk about a range of topics. And then obviously with COVID, it shifted online and we would do weekly or fortnightly live sessions and people could, we had a variety of speakers and people could comment and things like that. But, you know, you're sort of, with COVID, it's been a really, it's been a really interesting shift because not only are we before as mothers sort of emotionally shut away COVID we're physically shut behind doors doors are closed and we're left yeah. to our own devices to figure what on earth we're supposed to be doing for however long our child decides to stay awake in a day by ourselves you know there was, there was those period yeah. that period of what was it 12 nine or 12 weeks I can't even remember now of you know you really were not you were said told by the government that you were not to go to anywhere that was not within walking distance of your house you were not to meet anybody there were no bubbles bubbles is a new thing we had no bubbles there were no there were no there was no form of of reaching out and having that emotional support in a physical capacity where you could go and meet somebody and and cry in a park you know that 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 was completely removed from us and we were expected to, and I, and I understand that the figures were, were, were frightening. It was an unknown disease. We didn't know what we were dealing with, but you know, what you're doing is you're asking parents, you're asking primary carers to suddenly figure out how to do this on, by yourself. And no, we're not designed as humans to be able to know how to do it. We're not designed as humans to, to understand h- how to do things in a couple. I mean, think about you know, the amount of times that you fight with your spouse about stuff, let alone do it by yourself. You know, there's just, it's impossible. It's absolutely impossible. And what we have been asked to do repeatedly is put our mental health on the line for the sake of our children without them realising that perhaps it's impacting them too. Uh, you know, happy, happy, we talk about here all the time, happy mum, happy baby. It's just not quite as simple as that because how could you have a happy parent or a happy mother in this sort of situation I, I'd love to know the answer I don't I don't know how that's even possible right now so that's something that we, we've we talked about, and it's become very apparent hasn't it enough on our Facebook group and on our social media that we're in desperate times and people are feeling they're really feeling it
0: yeah absolutely I think people's mental health is is on the edge a lot of the time. I think people are are right on the edge of of coping a lot of the time, and yes, you know we we all manage somehow and we all scrape through somehow. But that's not really good enough, is it? Um, I remember at the beginning of lockdown thinking maybe companies or businesses now will be forced to accept this dual role of mother and professional person, whatever your job might be, because. Your your child is no longer at school or nursery. They are in your house with you, and you're trying to do all of that plus your job at yeah. the same time, like literally at the same time, one on top of the other. Um, and it felt like from the stories I was hearing that businesses were initially much more understanding. You know, if, if kids popped up in a Zoom call or Teams meeting, then you know that was okay, and that gave me real hope that there might be a shift. In this invisibility of, of motherhood because suddenly it was on everybody's work zoom calls your motherhood was there and you you weren't hiding it at home in expensive daycare you know or relying on grandparents or whatever it might be that gets you able to be out of working um but actually what's happened over time is that so what i've heard is that employers are becoming less and less forgiving of that and people are you know having to negotiate flexible time and you know coming back to the office and not coming back to the office and all these sorts of things and and it doesn't seem to have made the change that i perhaps naively really hoped that it would and and so what it's done is it's left parents trying to parent and work on top of one another but keeping them separate which <laughs> is just, just the, the normal societal impossibility but magnified amplified by by a thousand I can't, you know, my, my child isn't old enough to need to be homeschooled in that sense. He's still in his nursery setting three days a week, which is amazing, despite all of the other, you know, anxieties that that brings in the, in the middle of a pandemic. But for parents who have school aged children who are trying to home educate their children, plus do a full time job at the same time, without, without any of the normal resources, without friends to drop the kids off to, without family to visit or to pop in and cook a meal or to go to their house and have dinner there or whatever you know all of that stuff is mm-hmm. gone how anybody is is doing this without just screaming every 20 minutes for help i, I mm-hmm. don't know it's it, you know it says a lot that we posted something on our facebook page recently that just said this is a space to rant mm-hmm. about whatever you need to get off your chest and i think within within six or seven hours there were 81 posts there of people just needing to get something off their chest because who can you say Mm -hmm. it to you know no no longer can you meet up with other people in your village who get it you know there's only so many zoom calls and and also so
1: many emotions that you go through in such a short space of time I mean as a parent you do anyway don't you really you can go from one end of the scale to the other but in in these certain situations today is a classic example. You know, we were we were all quite happily sat at the table doing play-doh and then about four minutes into it, somebody had play-doh in their eye, somebody else had done a poo and then nappy and I was looking at the clock <laughs> thinking, When can I start drinking? <laughs> Which is not a healthy approach and I'm aware of that, but you know, I'd gone through things being really, really calm, and then as soon as I got everybody some snacks, it had gone back to relatively happy, but then you know, the TV was on and the vibe had changed. And that was in the space of about thirty five minutes. So yeah, you know when you go through a day and you get to the end of the day often my 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 husband and I just don't we don't speak for about half an hour. I just don't want to talk. I don't want to I think it's 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 a form of I just like the silence anyway, but it's also a form of processing I and mean, when you're not given those tools mm-hmm. to be able to process what's going on at any given moment. You can't step outside of the office and cool off and go and have a cigarette or you know, go for a walk around the block or go and find a colleague that you're close with and go and talk about it. You're, you're there on your own all the time having to process stuff and flip from one emotion to the other in very, very quick succession. And it's not good. It's not good for us. It's not good for our children. It's not good for our relationships. It's something that we're expected to and as you say, the people who are homeschooling as well as working, um, you're expected to manage some in some miraculous way. You're expected to be able to do all of the things, you know, at a, at a varying degree of, of goodness, <laughs> for, for want of a better word.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's like being the CEO of a really big, complex company and that being your full time job. And then somebody comes along and says, oh, we also want you to run the staff kitchen just now can you go now and do that but you still got to do your job and we're not going to give you any training at all no no more money no additional training we're not going to tell you how any of the equipment in the kitchen works you're just going to have to figure it out oh by the way you're on your own there's nobody else there deal with it go go (laughs) yeah and while you're doing just one of those jobs you might well be able to figure it out and get something out for people to eat or you know not have your company collapse but but doing both things at the same time,
1: it's, it, I mean, it, it's it madness. madness. <laughs> and it's, you know, it's just something that I think we were talking about a little bit. You hear in the news about parents, you know, not coping. It's like there's there's not coping. And there's, I mean, we're really not coping. It's not that, oh, you know, well, it'll be fine. It's like, no, people are, people are crying and having breakdowns and relationships are suffering. Yeah. You know, relationships are breaking up. You know, kids are being yelled at. Most of the time, I mean, maybe it's warranted, but you know, those feelings, those feelings of, of that we're experiencing, would never have been there before, and yet it's something that we're just not we're not talking about. I, I mean, I'd love to see the statistics after this is all. Oh, I say gone, like, like I even understand, yeah. you know, the 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 structure behind how long it's going to take for this all to go back to what is regarded as normal you know, how many services will be accessed by the NHS, you know, talking therapies, antidepressants, what's the increase on, you know, the the, the operations that have been postponed. I mean, I'm talking about everything that people have put off yeah. because they physically haven't been able to, to, to access it. They haven't had the time, they haven't had the mental space, they haven't felt emotionally able, you know, I, in all of, and, and I, I'm so fed up of talking about Brexit, but you know, obviously one of the things that they mention is more money for the NHS. Well, I mean, the proof is definitely in the pudding there, isn't it? <laughs> you know, that's, that's what you've, there's, there's no greater time than, than, than right now where people are desperate. You know, people rely on the NHS and, and look what's happening. You know, look what, look what, and that's just, that's just one aspect. That's a, that's a physical reaction from a disease. The NHS, what about everything else? What's, what's going to happen? Um, I'm, ter- I'm terrified, you know, I'm absolutely terrified. But it's something that I think we as a group, just to bring it back to our amazing group <laughs> and our, you know, amazing women that are in the group. It's something that we do. We do do well, which is talk. And we're honest with each other. I think without being without honesty, you don't have much. You don't have a common thread you don't have that support you don't you you can sort of peer in but unless you're willing to really tell people how you're feeling and to really listen there's not you can't get as much from it i think as 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 you should
0: yeah absolutely and you know along with the all the learning that we have hundreds of years of learning about how human beings function and what we need you know we know that we are social animals and we need other people we need connections we are not we don't function well in isolation and and there's lots of research more recently that talks about you know, some of the, the best ways to support people's mental health, whether they're mothers or not, is for them to be around people who understand them, mm. who listen to them, who they feel connected to in some way. And um, You know, just that social, social connection is incredibly powerful and really, really important. And yet, as we see increasing cuts to local authorities and we see, therefore, increasing cuts to services, it's those things that look a little bit wishy-washy, like the coffee morning or the, you know, the lunch social club for over 60s or whatever it might be. Those are the things that get cut. And yet they are the things that cost the least. And the long-term implications of losing those are massive and expensive. Mm-hmm. And it's it's really, you know, it's always been worrying, but it's, it's even more worrying now to look at five years from now and think, that's when we're going to start seeing the impact of this year this year 18 months however long it's going to be that's when we're going to really see it that's when people are you know are going to we're going to see the the loss of everything and what that what that means for the the next round of mothers who are having children next year or the year after in the wake mm-hmm. of this in the wake of even more loss of groups because once typically once an an organisation or a class or a group or whatever it might be, once they're gone, they're gone, Mm. it's much harder to start stuff from scratch than it is to keep it sitting along. And so, you know, and again, with with the financial situation because of COVID, there will be more rounds of cuts, there will be more losses. So what is it going to be like for mothers five years from now? You know, what's the landscape going to look like? And I think... The thing that we have to hang on to is that social connection. If we can keep mm-hmm. that, then we've always got multiple people to pick us up. We've got multiple brains to solve problems. We've got just, just that simple friendship and support that's so, so vital for everything else. Yeah. But yeah, it's, uh, it's worrying. It is worrying. Isn't
1: it? it is. And I, and I think there's always going to be space, isn't there, for groups like ours? There's always, go- there's always going to be a need for people to talk and to chat and you're absolutely right I, I have no idea what it will look like and i hope that there are the dream we've talked about this loads of times haven't we? about having various locations all across the country because we both feel very strongly that women aren't supported parents mothers are not supported enough you know so that's 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 the ultimate goal but in terms of everything else i i really hope that there's this this stuff going on time will tell you know, time will tell. That's why we we yeah. need your uh, we need you to continue with you um, educating the, the the children of the future, <laughs> lighting a fire <laughs> underneath them. Well, that's we joke, but it's true, isn't it? Because that's the uh, you know they're the ones that will be carrying stuff forward. They're the ones that will be talking about their parents who were crying over the dinner table because they f- couldn't homeschool them and they couldn't work at the same time. And the parents that were, you know, tired or crabby, or they changed slightly in that time. They're the ones that will yeah. remember. And I'm not saying that's a, I, it sounds like a bad thing. That's not a bad thing. That's, they're the ones that will make the change for the future to ensure that that never happens again and that there's social yeah, structures in place. Thing. You know, I, I have faith. I do. I have faith in them. And I think, you know we're capable they're capable of great things you know of 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 changing things especially with something like this as part of your childhood i you think you you would see things differently
0: And I think that that sort of takes us to the reason why we're doing these podcasts is it's it's about trying to make a shift in this invisibility of motherhood, trying to have a a bigger conversation, as big a conversation as we can. Um, Obviously, literally, it's just you and me talking here, but we're talking we're talking hopefully through the podcast to lots of people. Um, in order that they might see some solidarity and connection or that they might, if they're not a mother and they don't see solidarity and connection, have some slightly better understanding of the experience that women are going through, that parents are going through, that mothers are going through, um, in order that it is less invisible and less silenced and less abnormal and we don't have to put a great big breast milk sign on the weird fridge in the corner. <laughs> we we can embrace our... our you know our our role as as parent and whatever else multiple roles we carry um in the same space
1: totally and we've got i mean we've got loads of things planned for the rest of the the series and people that we're we're going to talk to and we're covering a range of range of subjects much like topics that we visited previously before in our groups but we've got the added bonus the added bonus i should say of um of doing this all again but in a in a pandemic so it'll be really I'm really looking forward to delving into lots of different pockets of it with lots of different people and seeing what we come up with but it's something that I just I really want to hit home is you know you aren't alone and it does feel often like we are and we're doing it alone we're getting up at three o'clock in the morning for whatever reason with our child or we're you know doing the same the game's over and over again or they're refusing the food or we're going on the same walk and it feels like it's just you but it's not just you it's all of us we're all in it together we it often feels like it's the hardest thing because we don't have anybody there but there there are people there and there are ways of of connecting you know our facebook page has is is full of incredible women who are really really honest and then there's some women in there that are equally incredible and don't say anything it's very much a space where you can give or take as much as you want and it should be like that because sometimes you feel you need the support other times you feel like you're in a space where you can give it so it's something that you know we'll explore hopefully in the in the next few sessions and we hope people really enjoy listening yeah
0: excellent we certainly enjoy talking don't we
1: Maybe a bit too much sometimes. (laughs) Luckily, we do love to talk, yeah.
0: You've been listening to a Parenting in a Pandemic podcast from Fee and Liz at Becoming Mums. Please subscribe for new episodes and follow us at becomingmums.com or via our Instagram and Facebook pages.